Hello, are you here? Well, those of you who are here, you have our sincere appreciation for tuning in to The Paul Leslie Hour. This is the honest and straightforward show with interviews of fascinating folks for 19 years and counting. And on this episode, we feature an interview with a man who is not really one to seek the spotlight, Charlie Bauer. Charlie's the president and co-founder of the Key West Songwriters Festival. It's the largest festival of its kind in the entire world. Next year is the 27th annual Key West Songwriters Festival, and it'll be taking place May 3rd through the 7th, 2023, in Key West, Florida. Let's see what we can find out from Charlie in the interview. Coming right up. Hey, did you know that this show depends on viewers and listeners like you? Hate to shift the responsibility and put it on your shoulders, but we need you. We are pushing hard to meet some goals for when we hit that 20-year mark less than a year from now. We want to double our YouTube subscribers. Please subscribe at YouTube. You can also contribute to help us cover operating expenses. Simply visit thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you for contributing and experiencing our interviews. I think if Charlie Bauer could choose, he'd say, It's time to start the interview. So, let's get into the conversation. It's time to start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great honor to be joined by Charlie Bauer. Now, that's a name that has come up quite a few times on this show, especially recently, but I have known the name Charlie Bauer for years, and I know a lot of you all know that name too, especially if you have ever been to Key West, maybe you've been to the Key West Songwriters Festival, or perhaps you've stopped by a place worthy of note. I'm talking about a bar, restaurant, music venue, the Smoke and Tuna Club down in Key West. Charlie, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I've heard great things about you too. So this should be fun. You didn't hear that I was a savage interviewer, did you? No. In fact, it, that kind of came across you're a little laid back like me. So that sounded like the perfect scenario. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, somebody said that I was a savage interviewer, somebody that you know, but we'll get into that in just a moment. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably uh satire involved in that one so <laughs> so tell us where, where were you born well way back when um i was born in pennsylvania outside of uh philadelphia the valley forge area and uh my dad moved to florida when i was four and uh he moved they originally moved to tampa and then uh he went fishing down uh Boca grand island on the west coast south of sarasota and that's where we wound up that's where i grew up till i was uh in my early 20s. So in spite of being born, technically born in Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, do you consider yourself a, a Floridian? I do until the playoffs come into play. And then I'm an Eagles Phillies fan, of course. But yeah, no, I consider myself, a, you know, a, not quite a full Floridian. But yeah, that's the way I grew up and where I grew up. So. I think that, you know, Florida is a place that 
is filled with so many different things. It's one of those places when somebody says that they live in Florida, it could mean so many different things. It might mean that you wear cowboy boots. It might mean that you're uh, of Cuban descent. It might mean, it can mean all kinds of things, but Key West, I think, is a very unique place. What was the first thing you thought when you went to Key West for the very first time? Well, very first time I was still in high school because we used to travel down and do the do the lobster season, the mini season in August. So I had made a couple trips into Key West at night um, under under circumstances I probably wouldn't put across, but we were cocktailing at a young age. We'd go, we would go down there at night. Um, so that was my only experience, really, when we would travel down to, to go lobstering in the summer. But when I moved down there in, in 88, um, I got a much more, you know, bigger feel for Key West and the people that, that were there. Um, and uh, I fell in love with Key West right away. What was it about it that made you fall in love with it right away? Well, it was, it was a happening scene, so that was that was fun. I was in my uh, early 30s, actually. I made it through my 20s without going to Key West. That, that could have been a problem if I had been there in my 20s. But uh, in my early 30s, and I had gone down there to open a bar, restaurant, for a good friend of mine up in the Panhandle, uh, the original Hog's Breath Saloon. And uh, I was good friends with Jerry Dormany, who had, had, had that bar on in Fort Walton Beach. And he decided to open this, uh, open a, uh, an equivalent bar um, in Key West. And he asked me if I wanted to go down and open it up. And my thoughts were, well, you know, how hard could that be? I'm in Key West and I'm hanging out at a bar. I had no idea what I was getting into. So, so I fell in love with, the, with the, you know, with the people and the tourists and everybody that was there. I think that when somebody is in the bar and restaurant business, even if it's just for a couple of years or if it's more, in the case of yourself or or me, uh, you always have a kind of camaraderie with people who work in restaurants and bars. Have you found that to be the case? Oh, very much so in the early days. Uh, again, I'm talking uh, October 88 is when we opened the Hog's Breath. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, the bartenders and the crews from the different main bars there really circulated between their, their, their friends and neighbors who were working the other locations when they were off. So it was, it was a really... Really cool um, bar restaurant community down there at that time. They were all independently owned mostly, and uh, and uh, <clears throat> everybody had a good time after hours as much as during working hours. So, I think that you learn so much about human beings. You learn so much about human psychology, people's nuances. What would you say that being in the bar and restaurant business has taught you about people? Um, well, being the introvert I am, I, I learned a lot because previously, in you know, previous lifetimes, I grew up in construction with my dad. I went back to school late and I was a programmer for, you know, six or seven years and uh, decided to get into the clothing business. All my buddies were surf reps. So that's how I met uh, Jerry Dormany at the Hogsworth and moved um, to Key West to open the bar. So it was, it was a total enlightenment to be around uh, people, honestly, in general. So I had a real learning curve there. But um, I don't know. I had an in, in it a sense of how to deal with, with tourists and customers. And, uh, and, of course, the locals, it was easy. But um, you just learn to ask the right questions and do a lot of listening more than talking as much as possible. So. Hmm. And that's that's very good advice for any type, type of interactions with people. 
to to listen more and it's so so valuable in the restaurant bar business especially now here is a question that we got now at the time that i asked this question i thought he was in france but this is from scott kirby oh no <laughs> Uh, so I wrote to him. I said, hello over there in France. And he said, well, actually, I'm in Italy. <laughs> so he said uh, uh, he has a question for Charlie Bauer. No, I'm sure he has more than one. <laughs> well, I just thought I that don't was... have to answer. I, I can take the fifth on anything I like. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, I want to show everybody. Maybe they can see this. We'll blow this up. But uh, this is where he is. Oh, that poor thing. I know yeah. he's suffering over there in the. On the continent. I saw this. I looked at it and I thought, I don't I don't know what it is. I get this idea that this is a very beautiful place. I, I don't know why, but it's, it's <laughs> the it feeling. He winds up in these places. Uh, <laughs> the boy has the Irish, the good Irish luck, I guess. So here's the question from Scott Kirby to our guest, Charlie Bauer. I would love to ask him and hadn't thought about this. Here's the question. There was not much original music being played in Key West clubs and bars in the late 80s and early 90s. What inspired you to start booking artists who wrote their own material and then established the Key West Songwriters Festival? And how long is this interview go for? <laughs> because it'll take a while. But when I moved to Key West, there are there are three or four places that have live entertainment every day. It was Sloppy Joe's, Rick's, the Bull and Whistle, and the Green Parrot. And the bands that came through, they're basically, you know, they were cover bands and everybody enjoyed that. But um, when I got when I got down there, I really wanted to go. I don't know. I, I just I, I love music to begin with and the singer songwriter stuff. It had always been my favorite. So I, I reached out to try and uh, find performing songwriters that come down. And um, no disclaimers here, I guess. But. The people that I could get to come to Key West typically were spent, had too much fun in Key West, typically. So I had some really good performers come through, uh, no names there, but um, I had problems. You know, they would they would have a lot of fun when they're in Key West. So a gentleman that was a, a songwriter in Nashville with no hits, he was driving taxi, uh, uh, Drew Reed at the time, came, he, I guess he was in Key West with his brother in the early 70s, driving cab, and he was he was playing music, doing the cover stuff. And uh, he approached me at the same time. Um, uh, the gentleman, I can't think of his name right now, that had the Floribama. Uh, I'll, th I'll think of it later. Um, Joe's his first name. Anyway, he had started this. A couple couple of the big-time performers in Nashville started this. They would call it the the smoking and drinking tour and they'd all rent, they'd uh, take a bus and they'd drive down to the floor of Bama and just do, you know, do their songs in rounds. So Drew, Drew brought that to me and said, why don't we, um, why don't we offer to have them to come down to Key West? They'll come down and play for, for a room and board because, you know, it's, it's basically a vacation and they get up and do what they like to do anyway. Cause a lot of the, most of the songwriters, and, and Nashville are real good performers, but they're typically writing for other people and trying to get hits and you know, cuts with people. So it's a chance for them to come have some fun, go fishing, go snorkeling and play some music. And then we have really some of the best talent there is playing on the Hogsbreath stage. So, and that, that's what I started doing. And that's how kind of the songwriters festival that evolved into singer songwriters festival. Everybody had a great time. And we started, I think six performers the first time. 
And um, every actually, Shel Silverstein performed that year. He was living in Key West off and on at the time. And um, mm. and some of the other um, real straight up 60, 70 uh, country writers uh, came down. Um, Mickey Newberry, who wrote a lot of country hits, but he also wrote uh, What Condition My Condition Was In, which is the first first edition um kenny rogers and that crew made a big hit with so we went from that and the next year there were 16 18 and the next year we're 30 35 and um recently we had peaked out around 225 writers were down five or six years ago so it kind of evolved and, and my love of live live original music is really what we've always done and we had three shows a day on the stage at the Hogsbreath. Well, what about you personally? What what would you say some of your favorite singers and bands are? Just rattle off a few. Well, I've got a lot. That's kind of tough if I start talking Nashville because I have so many friends who are so phenomenal. But, but some of the people who really helped put us on the map in Key West um, are names that now a lot of people have heard their names, but nobody was familiar with them. There's Chuck Cannon, Jeffrey Steele, um, Rivers Rutherford. Um, oh my God, it goes on and on. Um, early stages of Scotty Emmerich, who's written a ton of stuff for Toby Keith. Um, there is just, and I, I'm, I'm leaving everybody out, so I'm getting in trouble here, but uh, um, it, it just, all I can say is it took off. And the first year was kind of sketchy because Key West is not a, when you say Nashville at the time, especially late 80s, they're talking country Western music. Right. So they're like, we're not into country music in Key West. No, it's not Key. It's not country music. Think of you know James Taylor and and uh, um, Don Henley and these guys who write really good stuff and, and play. So um, it took a couple years for people to realize these are just incredible performers. And a lot of the songs that they would perform weren't nec- necessarily for the three and a half minute Nashville hits. They're stuff that they wrote that they would never try to get cut in Nashville. So. Everybody kind of got it after the first couple of years, and that, that's what re- really grew from there. And so many of these artists, I've I've seen them, and uh, I think over and over again, like it's it's such a unique experience to hear a writer do, you know, to hear Dean Dillon, for example, sing one of the George Strait hits. It's a totally different experience. I can appreciate both of them, but it's unique to hear the writer do it. Well, and they and they give a little, you know, a prelude of why they wrote the song, where they were, and it, I forgot Dean right off the bat. He's he's like the biggest megastore right now, young star, and uh, Casey Musgraves and Marin Morris to give the girls a do. They were down there for three or four, some of them five years before they got their big hits. So they were they were in there up there when they were just getting started. And uh, um, Ashley McBride, you know, all of them had been down there at one time or another. The whole list of natural. And a lot of people that are still, the Jeffrey Stills and the Chuck Cannon still go out and do some shows, but they basically are, uh, you know, they get the mailbox money mm-hmm. and they play and they play when they feel like it, when they're having fun, you know? So that's, that makes a big difference. They're there to have fun and play music because they enjoy it. And they're, and, and t- the storytelling part of it is just as important as the actual song itself. And a lot, a lot of times. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely it. The storytelling is such a such a part of hearing these writers do their own stuff. Now, has there been somebody that you kind of had on your wish list that you keep in your pocket that uh, they haven't done the Key West Songwriters Festival yet, but you would really like it for them to come? 
There are, and that comes up a lot. And honestly, I kind of go back to my my roots. You know, I'm I'm too late for Tom Petty. I'm still I still get choked up when I think about him because I really you know I, I was looking for the ones I really liked. Especially he's a Florida boy, <laughs> but the Tom Petty's and the um, Jackson Browns and there's people back from the through the middle 70s, you know, 70s or late 60s and 70s. And I know people like Don Henley were out of, out of question, but um, David Lindley. So some of the others, um, um, I can't think of his name right now, too. Uh, the uh, um, I'll, I'll think of his name, too. But uh, one of my favorites was uh, Gary Clark Jr. We mm. got him to talk oh, just off a whim. Um we saw him, and one of the festivals. One of the festivals I do go to is the ACL Fest in Austin every year, and that has grown into it's so diverse. The town. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's everybody, all the country stars and and the rockers and uh, some hip hop, and you know it's a real mix. They also do Lollapalooza in Chicago, but uh, we just ran into him after a show, and my cohort at BMI at the time just let's just go ask him if we'll come down. You know, so this is in <laughs> October, and he goes. Yeah, I'm going to do it just because I want to. Hmm. And he wasn't a big name yet, but he was real close. And this is in October. And in um, February, we're putting a lot of promo out. And uh, his manager says, hey, the Stones want him to open for them in L.A. And I said, uh-oh, well, he's gone. I guess I'm going to have to change everything. And Gary turned around and said, no, man, I'm going to go do that. It sounds cool. And I'm going to go hang out with those guys. And he caught up with the Stones <laughs> later on the road. But after he left us, he went to to England, to London, and he did a five night uh, stint with Eric Clapton. And so um, that, that that's one of my favorites because I really wanted him to be there so bad, and I didn't think it would happen, and it did. So, but again, there are so many. I mean, we've been doing this for twenty six years, so yeah. I'm going to forget a lot of people that I sh- that I should should bring up. But well, can you tell the people out there who are watching? Is there a name of somebody who will be at next year's festival that is confirmed that you can publicly release? Uh, we don't have that kind of information yet. They're still booking their, uh, you know, right. the, the big shows, road shows. I, I can tell you that our classics will be back. Um, Dean will be back, and Scotty Emmerich, and Chuck Ken, and Jeffrey Steele, Anthony Smith. Um, I would love to. I would love to get Casey to come back. Actually, Casey Musgroves is one of my favorites. She was so cool. I mean, she still is, but she was so uh, down to earth and so talented at the same time. Um, I would love to get her. We have a couple names out here, but I don't want to say somebody might come, you know, because uh, we got a couple offers out right now because we do have an amphitheater now, too. And I have partnered up with Ramshead Group, which is initially based out of uh, Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, Bill Muehlhauser has been a good friend of mine for all these years, and we merged up last year so we just did a, a we just did a, a festival in annapolis in september and first annual so we're doing that every september up there too and that was well received it was kind of same, same kind of thing people had to see it once to really get it because again you know nashville sounds still sounds like country music but um that's one thing about nashville now is everybody has moved to nashville to try to get in the people that i mean there's hip-hop I met one guy from Detroit last year who's a hip-hop writer. He's now in Nashville writing the writing countries, you know, trying to get hits there. So everybody's coming from all over the world to Nashville now. So it's a quite a mix, and it actually allows us to be a little more diverse. 
you know, a spectrum of the music that, that that we bring. So we're trying to do that. But Ram's Head manages the amphitheater. So now we have a 4,000 uh, seat amphitheater that we're going to plug in a couple bigger shows. Uh, along we do it, we still do we still do our big show Saturday. We close down the 200 block of Duval Street and do a free concert. That's going to stay the way it is. But we're still going to try to add a couple other concerts and not really mess with the singer-songwriter part of it, but just offer something bigger bigger for the people while they're there. So maybe this is a lighthearted question. Maybe not. Maybe it's a serious question. What do you recommend somebody order in terms of food when they're at the smoking tuna? Well, um, our fritters obviously are great. Um, uh, the mac and cheese, lobster mac and cheese. Um, the ceviche is my recipe, so I'm kind of partial to that one. I'm not a great restaurateur, but I did put that together when 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 I needed a ceviche, shrimp ceviche. Those are probably one of the most popular, and um, it's probably some of the most popular meals there. Good leads, good leads. So you mentioned the ACL uh, event, the ACL Austin Fest. Yes, yeah, sir. ACL Fest. Are there any other festivals that you go to? Well, I go to, it's not really a festival, but ACL Fest is by far uh, my favorite because I know the people that run it and it's so diverse. And I get to shop for talent in Austin too because the Texas Heritage Songwriters Association is uh, an organization that I work with. They run events during the year and we actually bring the winners of their songwriters um, contest to, to our festival. So I'm there hanging out with the Texas Heritage people, Joe Abel's. Who has the Saxon Pub? He's one of my dear friends, and really one of the turnkey places that singer songwriters and bands, original bands, play there. So um, that's it's really kind of draw. Keep it to that at this point. Um, I go there in February. They have a big awards thing every year, and of course, so many writers are from Texas, right? Everybody, right. From, you know, the whole works. Mac Davis and uh, uh, Chris Christopherson on down the line, or oh, back to Buddy Holly and everybody else. So that's that's where I actually go to recruit and and really get to be part of that of that awards every February. So, but beyond that, I really don't travel out to to the other festivals. What do you appreciate most about songwriters? I, honestly, I enjoy, I just enjoy the words. You know, the, the words and the music. I mean, I'm a closet musician. I'm a three-quarter at the house by myself. I would never get, and I've been, people try, tried to give me a couple of cocktails, try to get me on stage somewhere. That would never, unless it'd be somebody else's business when I'm trying to run away and get to mine. But uh, I, I don't know. The, the, the people that like to sing or songwriter stuff, maybe it's the, maybe it's the uh, age I grew up. Um but again, that just changes because the younger people have their own sets of singer-songwriters. But uh, I don't know. It's always appealed to me, the singer-songwriter. Rather, I, I, I guess I like simple music. Somebody, you know, uh, keeping it simple, and I don't really not really into big bands. Even Bruce Springsteen, who I mentioned, I love Bruce, but uh, I love him when he's sitting he's sitting on a stool playing. That that's just my personal thing, I guess. Definitely, Scott Kirby's another one. Don't. I'll forget Scott Kirby. Scott Kirby, absolutely. When he's not, you know, tramping around Europe. <laughs> I expect to get some reports from, from there after after the fact, but we'll see. Well, you you uh you you mentioned cocktails a moment ago. 
And you also used the the word cocktailing, which I, I appreciate that term. So what is Charlie Bauer's beverage of choice? Oh, uh, these days, I like my tequila on the rocks. Tequila on the rocks. And a lime. And a lime. You know, something, um, something reasonable, you know, but that's kind of my, my flavor these days. Tequila on the rocks. Would you say that you have a favorite song or a song that has a special meaning to you? I'll tell you, um, I guess it's changed over the years, but I'm obsessed with uh, with Tom Petty right now. And I have been ever since he passed to the point where uh, it's I, I went ahead and signed up for Sirius Radio. But, um, by, by the way, I need to give a shout out to Stormy Warren, Sirius Radio, because he um, I kind of kind of forgot about this. But when we were really trying to put the festival together and grow, um, the guy at BMI at the time, Mark Mason, is the one that talked me to go back to Nashville with him after the festival. and go around. He introduced me to all the publishers who had the writers on staff. And we really picked the Songwriters Fest. But um, Stormy Warren at the time was on GAC and he had uh, Headline Country was the show once a week. And uh, we uh, try to keep it a short version of it, but we went over there. And uh, to the office, and the secretary says he's he's in a meeting right now. And so I said, okay, well let me leave a card. Mark was like, no, 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 we're going to come back in 15, 20 minutes. I said, <laughs> well, okay, you think I think that's okay? You know, it's my introvert thing happening there. So yeah, so we did that like three times within an hour and a half. And and if it would have been me, I would have left a card. But being being a Nashville person knows what it takes to get something done. Mark right. kept dragging me back there, and we so we got in with Stormy, and he goes, well, hell yeah, I'm there, man. And uh, so they they made a it was only a 30 minute show every week. But the first couple of years that he was came down and covered it live, um, it's really blew us up between the television um, and, and the people spreading the word when they went back to Nashville. You know, go to Key West in May. Um, winter's over and everybody wanted to come down or so between Key West itself and Stormy and, and Mark Mason at BMI really, really helped me kick that off. So. And I forget where I segued from. Uh, you were just, you just, uh, I was asking you about favorite, uh, like a favorite song. And you said that lately it's been a lot of Tom Petty. Yeah, it's been, honestly, it's been really, um, it's been Tom Petty for the last, for at least the last year or so. Um, but my performers were, were the Eagles and Tom Petty and uh, Jackson Brown. And uh, Ry Cooter was a name I couldn't come up with earlier. I'm a huge Ry Cooter fan. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, one of the acts that I did want to try to get down, and they're still touring, is he and uh, David Lindley. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with David Lindley. But he's oh, he's yeah. performed with a lot of people, but he has a band, too. But they do a little touring uh, together, and I've always wanted to get those guys. So those are the favorites I like to have, but they're really West Coast people, you know, so it's hard to get them to come all the way over from the left coast. Right. But that would be cool for oh, sure. That would be so cool, and it really helps expand the the audience. You know, uh, um, the actual music itself. So, so we're going after the Americana market some too. Right now, does does somebody do they have to be a BMI writer to perform? No, no. no. Okay. Well, now we go. We start with BMI because they've been supporting us all these years. So, right. um, so we start with the BMI, and then we invite you know. And it, it's all about the performing rights organizations is where we start. For a couple of years, I went to the Publishers Direct, but 
working with, excuse me, BMI all these years, um, really, really, they have. To, if you're writing a song, you're going to register. If people don't know, you have to register with somebody if you want to get money when it's played on the radio. So you have ASCAP, CSAC, and BMI. But BMI has worked with me so much over these years that I'm really loyal to those guys. But we do invite um, songwriters that are that to register their songs with the other performing rights organizations too. So cool. Do you perhaps have a uh, a little anecdote or maybe a short story that comes to mind when you think about all the years you've been doing this of something that happened? Oh, I mean, wow. suitable. Well, we used to have a lot of, well, we used to have, you know, it's like everybody. When you get a little older, you don't have as much fun as you used to. But one of our highlights, and I can blame this on Gove Scrivener. You might not have ever heard his name. But oh, Gove Scrivener. Gov Scrivener, he's the legend in the songwriter community. And he'll, uh, <laughs> I think he's with a girlfriend in Tampa these days. He's probably seventy-five plus. But uh, we, we, Phil Tinney, who owns Louis Backyard in Key West, over on the Atlantic, beautiful place. Oh, and Scott and my I think Scott wrote a song about about his uh, about where he goes to church on Sunday nights and it's the after deck. But uh, so we would convene after the after the shows were over uh most nights during the festival we'd wind up over there on the after deck and everybody would bring their guitars out there and just trade songs and it would typically go till 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 daylight and uh so that was that's one of my highlights of having that happen every year um it's not individual performers but just the camaraderie going there and everybody just hanging out you know they went and did a couple shows and they still want to go hang out and play music together or play a new song. Or The other thing, too, is the one thing that was made it so popular with the, with the songwriters, it's not, it's not a challenge to get them to come to Key West, but while they're down there, when you're in Nashville, you're in these sessions where you go and write together. And these days, most songs are written by two or three and sometimes four writers that get together. And it's Tuesday at one, from one to three or you know, different scheduled appointments. And when they're down there, they just they run into a lot of people they don't actually get to see in Nashville. And they go back and they or they bring songs down there that are partially written and they finish it down there or they go back and write, write music when they get back to Nashville. So it's always been a, really kind of a as a songwriters festival, um, the important I have to, you know, not bragging, but the important people are there and everybody wants to be there, too, to maybe get some introductions and old friends that see each other. So it's really kind of a something you don't see back in the city, you know? Hmm. Uh, a moment ago, you mentioned Louie's Backyard. And that's a, a place where one can get a great meal. And there's a lot of places in Key West, no matter when somebody goes down, that, you know, you can eat very well there, uh, maybe a little too well. So I'm hoping <laughs> you can tell us uh, some, maybe the place that you recommend people eat. In Key West, wow! Well, my, obviously, my first choice is, is Louis' backyard for dinner, and um, uh, the, the Mar Marquesa has always been a real popular um, and steady, really good food, you know. And uh, La, La Trattoria, I would say, would be the other one that I was. You can always count on a great meal there. The problem with the after deck is you have to get out of there after you eat because you, will, you used to they used to stay up until four a.m. So a lot of damage was done 
more late night than it was, you know. We weren't over there dining all that much, honestly, but we were over there cocktail until they closed the doors on the place. Kirby would contest to that. A lot of damage done over there. So that's our favorite spot. And it was. And Phil, Phil's from back in the day when Hunter Thompson was hanging there. Jimmy had his, the Buffett had his, you know, first apartment up above where the after, after deck is. And uh, so there's a lot of notorious uh, Bill Murray and those guys were oh, hanging out down there a lot. So I get to hear all the stories from the late 70s, early 80s. So those are my favorites, though. Have you had any run-ins with Buffett? Yeah, yeah, occasionally. Um, when uh, we had, when we we were doing, we, there wasn't a lot of, um, how can I say this? The Hogsbeth did really well. Jerry was they were kind of struggling up in the panhandle because they were really killing it during the during the uh, oil gold rush in the late 70s, early 80s, when everybody was coming from Texas. And uh, that kind of backed off a little bit. So he was looking for a place to open. And, you know, the T-shirt, the Hong Express Saloon T-shirt was incredibly popular from everybody from, you know, all over the world with the with military being right there. But um, so he had some friends that said, hey, I... And these are people that would buy properties and said, look, we're looking at Key West and there's a there's a place you might be interested in. It's not for sale, but it's for lease. And it was a Hogs Breath location. It, it was empty. So so Jerry went, you know, he went down there. We looked at it. He said, you want to go down and open the bar, blah, blah. And uh, uh, it really it really took off. And uh, for, and the merchandise really blew out way bigger than it had ever been up in Pan Am. So it was a real surprise to us how well it did. And uh, and where were we at? Oh, I was just asking you if you if you had had any any uh, interactions with Buffett. Oh yeah, all the way back to Jimmy. So, anyways, uh, I know where I was going with that. So so we're doing so well. We bought Jerry a new boat, sixty four Ocean, and we bought a twin twin engine airplane. And uh, he wanted to buy some property, so we bought this huge house on Elizabeth Street, three story house. And uh, Buffett Studios a couple blocks away. And uh, so he was looking for a place to keep the bands, when they, especially when they were still recording often, at least once a year. And he was looking for a place to, uh, to put the band in. And uh, it was like it was the perfect scenario. It was a little ritzy for it wasn't exactly a band house. It's a very nice house. But uh, so I so I went over and showed it, showed it to him. And uh, so we've known each other ever since then, since since 88, really early 89 and uh and he'd be in key west he was always really and louis was his favorite place because he could go upstairs at the after deck or in the restaurant and eat up there by himself and not be bothered when he when he became much more famous you know so um so now it's progressed to the point where um and I, i'd run into him once in a while in austin river too so it's been really friendly to me and i've always loved i was a huge buffett fan so i had to act like really cool when i would run into him it's like <laughs> Yeah, how you doing, Jimmy? And I said, like, oh, got to see Jimmy here. But um, now we're actually, I'm working with Ramshead, and we're we're going to manage the studio, his studio in Key West. So we're actually going to start offering that to 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 uh, uh, performers who want to come down and do an album. So we think that will be really popular. Recently, Jimmy hasn't used it much. Occasionally, occasionally Kenny Chesney will come in there, and George Strait always comes down there. He has a reason to come down to put a couple of vocals on something or something and go fishing when he's doing a new album. So those guys would use it. Zach Brown, 
and some others, but overall it hasn't been used. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about getting involved in that and bringing, I have some great friends in Nashville who do some really good recording. Keith Gaddis, I love to death. And he's, he's a, he's a great uh, producer of albums. So we're talking and a couple of others, plenty up there that would want to come down to do it. So it's, that's a long version of a short story, but yeah, Jimmy's great. Well, that's cool about the recording studio. It's it's pretty common. About once a month, I will get an email from someone and they've said something about, I want to record something down in the keys. So that. Yeah. It's, well, it's a little bit of a challenge because obviously everybody wants to do, you know, sure. a song or a record in Jimmy's studio. But the, it's really for people that can bring in the production, their own engineers. And basically you come in and, 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 and Kenny's been in there too. I, I forgot Kenny. He's, he's in there, you know, occasionally doing albums too, or they will use it as, I won't say a write-off, but they'll come down and finish, you know, finish a cut or throw some vocals on something and spend a week down there and go fishing. So um, you'd have to really have a commitment from record label probably right. to come down and do it. So um, you wouldn't want to get a bunch of calls from people say, hey, I want to go record there because it doesn't work like that. Like it does in Nashville, you can go get a session for six hours. It's someone that's really going to commit it to do a total album and has the budget to go with it. So. so to get kind of an idea about the uniqueness of this festival, the Key West Songwriters Festival, if someone out there is listening to this and they're thinking, I'd like to go to this, what is it that you would hope they would walk away from the experience of going if they did? What do you hope they get from the experience of attending the festival? I think they'll be surprised at the level of, of um, is camaraderie, the right word, between the performers and the audience. Because the reason why it's growing so big is because the performers, when they're down there hanging out, and really everybody, I've only had, I don't know if you add them all up, I mean, thousands of songwriters come down. There's been a half a dozen that, that were no fun. Everybody else, and I think it's part of the industry. By the time you get to Nashville, you've gone through all that, or you don't, you know, you don't get to that next level. Because if you have an attitude, there's plenty of people who will take your place. So when they come down there, they really bond because a lot of this is just in the round stuff and in the bars or the small theaters. We do have an amphitheater now, and uh, there was some concerns about that because you know, growing from these singer songwriter shows and then having a big show or two. But we we've already made that commitment to do it, but. These people, they they remember each other, the people that are there for the music and the people that are performing. They remember from last year and they people go back and tell their friends and neighbors that come down and this real bonding thing between the singer songwriters and the audience. So I think, you know, first year they would they would really um, if you really like a performance and you go up to say something to them after the show, they'll be very accommodating. And next year when they come back, they're going, hey, there's there's Joe and Nancy, you know, how are you all doing and blah, blah. So. Um, it's just a real down to earth uh, scene, I guess you'd call it. Hmm. Well, what's the website of the Key West Songwriters Festival? Uh, well, spelled out, it's Key West Songwriters Festival.com. Okay. You can well, go kwswf.com, but it's safer to actually, if you Google with a microphone, it'll pop right up. It's on the top of the search engine. So, and, and of course, we're Facebook and Instagram, you know, savvy. So mm -hmm. have been for a few years. So, Well, Charlie Bauer, thank you so much for being with us. It's been great to, to interact with you and, and get these stories and all this uh, information about the Key West Songwriters Festival. 
I'm pretty much in awe because of the fact I've heard about all the people you've interviewed. So I still don't understand me, but it's an honor to be on here. So all my friends at Kirby, I'm sure I'll get critiqued when he's done with me. So. <laughs> well, I always like to give the microphone to the guest at the end. Uh, you know, I hear from people who listen in that, I mean, every they're born in every decade, people born in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. I, you know, yesterday I got an email from a guy who was 19, and he told me that he was the, the biggest Jimmy Webb fan. Really? So, yeah. yeah. What a cool guy he must be. <laughs> but I will just leave it to you. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in? Wow. You mean as far as wanting to a career or just enjoy, just right off the top of my head? Just off the top of your head, whoever that person is who, who's checked out this Charlie Bauer interview. Well, I'll go, I'll go, uh, whatever, intergalactic with this is just try, try to do what you love. Um, I wasn't, you know, I decided to get into the bar restaurant business because it seemed like a fun thing to go do. But, you know, it's a challenge. And I think you and I have talked about it. Being an introvert, um, I'm not really the guy, a front of the house kind of guy. So bringing the music in made it all the difference for me. We had a space at the Hog's Breath. I put a stage there that wasn't there, started playing music. The neighbors weren't so happy about it. Uh, the restaurants. Bagatelle, by the way, across the street. I didn't throw the Bagatelle's name in a great restaurant. But um, I would say try to find something, you know, it, it, it's it's said a lot, but try to find what you love to do for, for a living and for your life because uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, put. I guess that's kind of my words of wisdom. Find something to do that you that you love. Very good. Well, Charlie Bauer, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate the conversation and uh, everybody. Come on down to the festival. We still have rooms. It'll <laughs> be right. May May fourth through the seventh, twenty twenty three. So May fourth through the seventh. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you, listeners, viewers. Please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And, of course, this is your announcer speaking. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.